Flow with the Show. Hey, hey, this is Flow with the Show, episode number eight. Eight is great. Um, <laughs> we have an extra special episode um, today. I feel like I say that every episode because they are special in their own way. But uh, especially today, we are back up at this beautiful summer cabin. And for the first time ever, I have not one guest, but two guests. Yay. <laughs> we have a million cameras, a million microphones, and some beautiful spirited people with me here today. So thank you guys so much for being here. Stranger, my beautiful friend, uh, music producer, music educator, content creator, amazing human. Welcome to the show again. <laughs> thank you. Thank you for having me. I, I feel s- like I'm in a very serene space here. And I feel like we're kind of in a Jedi Council here. Yeah. We're positioned in, in a triangular formation here. Yeah. I think we're going to have a really good chat. Yeah, yeah. awesome. <laughs> yeah, we've got like a circle kind of yeah. vibe going on yeah. here. This yeah. is cool. All we're missing is that little sponge ball that we throw around. <laughs> oh, yeah, like who, who holds the stick yeah. is he who like talks. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, Tier, welcome to the show again. Tier Kahoot, music producer, DJ, audio engineer, all around video, photo guy, my vocal engineer, man of many times talents. Thank you again for being here. Of course. Um, so we had Tier in the last episode and got to know him a little bit more. Some stories that I myself had never heard, even though even though we know each other really well. So that was super cool. And Stranger, Alan, was the very first guest. Episode number one, Flow at the Show. <laughs> <laughs> so this is pretty cool to have you back as well, especially in this context. We're, we're up here having a Deviant Audio crew retreat type of thing away from our studios, immersing ourselves in nature and good conversation and relaxation. So thought we can't relax too hard. We should film a podcast. Episode. <laughs> we just spent three hours setting up a show. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we never waste a good opportunity to put out some good content exactly. up there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And exactly. what a place to do it. Uh, right. Yeah. yeah, I hope you can see, you can probably see uh, in some of our backgrounds, there's like lake water, there's like grass and, you know, not not the usual, like just studio gear vibe as cool as I like that. <laughs> We're literally flowing yeah. with yeah. the lake of the show. We're flowing. We're flowing. We're flowing. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, this is, you know, the, the three of us, for, for those listening in, um, we work together in a lot of different contexts. Um, so I thought maybe because this is sort of like a, a deviant audio crew kind of thing, um, I thought maybe I'd perhaps give a little bit of context for those that don't know. Deviant audio is a label founded by our homie Stranger over here. What, 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 what? Over the years, Deviant has released some incredible music and some really exciting things to come. Um, Tier and I have our own involvement in separate ways with helping the label, and so that's sort of our vibe here as well. Um, we've also released music on the label as artists, so that's been a, a really incredible opportunity. Honestly, Alan, like our first release schema together was such a you know, I know it's a small label, but it's so special. And I was so grateful for that opportunity. And even having like the Toronto CN Tower, like on the artwork and yeah. stuff too, made it even yeah. more Yeah, I love when we put our efforts together. It, it seems like there's this synergist synergy, this creative energy. When we put our heads together, something great can happen. And even like today. So yeah, honor to, 
to be working with you both. You both are very hardworking, very bright, talented, and creative. And great things can happen when you uh, meet people that are like-minded, that share the same goals and visions that are moving in a similar direction. Great things can happen. So message out to anyone out there. If you're feeling a bit down, you're not really moving, find people that, that you, you can support, that you can vibe with and, and build because it, it's much easier to build when you have people to work and grow together. So, Yeah, you're, yeah. you're so right. It can be such a, a lonely road, especially if you're uh, a musician that's not, for example, in a band where you're already like inherently like in, in a group of people. Um, I remember one of my early, early experiences with music was, um, you know, I'd, I'd spent many years uh, practicing classical piano on my own. So it's just you and the piano. And then, you know, the, the strict Russian teacher comes along once a week and yells at me because I'm not that good. And then, and then, you know, years later, my, my very first experiences of like jamming with other people, it's like, Oh, you're a musician. I'm a musician. Let's just like jam together. And even at that moment, it was like the concept of like collaborating with someone was so foreign to me. But I remember the experience of like, Ha working on something creative with another person just did feel so much more fun. And I remember thinking to myself, like, in the future, years later, if I were to ever, even for example, like tour, it would be nice to not be on the stage by myself. Now, that said, I think the experience of like being a musician in whatever form, even if you are a solo musician, solo DJ, whatever, there are always so many people around you that, like, it takes so many people. To, to make something come together, whether it's releasing music, you have all the label people, people who work at the distribution company, um, maybe people that are doing the artwork. Um, if you're doing shows, it's like all these people coming together to like put on the show. So you never really are alone, even when you when you feel like it. So I definitely agree with you in that. Like, y you should kind of always look to, I guess, like, yeah, connecting with other people uh, along this journey of creativity. Kind of. <laughs> Yeah, your team kind of makes you who you are sometimes. Mm -hmm. You can't do everything you want to do on your own. But that doesn't mean you can't be independent and do a lot of stuff yep. uh, on your own accord, too. Because I think the great thing about teamwork is that you all benefit when you do well. Hmm. And you can all bring each other up in the same way. If you have a really innovative idea, if you have a new approach, or if you have a refinement to an existing approach, or you can find some way to contribute value, you're not singularly the one who benefits from that. And if everyone is constantly bringing each other, uh, each other up in that way, it makes finding inspiration for that other person even easier. Because it's very clear why the team functions well when one person has success, that pays off, helps everybody out. Hmm. You think to yourself, okay, well, it's my turn now to carry the weight, see what I can do to increase our value, and then you can all you know, under an ideal circumstance of being a good team, you you can all essentially just uplift each other constantly. Mm -hmm. And that's why it's so important when you do meet good, motivated, honest, respectful people that you keep them close by. You know, we had a conversation last night along the same lines of you have to be very precious about the great people that you meet because mm -hmm. it's every so often that you might. There's a lot of exceptional people out there, but... There's a lot of places you can be in this world, too. You might not ever run across that perfect person that you have in your mind because they might be 5,000 miles away. But 
if you're paying attention, your eyes are open. You're always looking for opportunities. You're always open to new things, being adaptable. Hmm. This is all you're running to someone who can work well with you and you can both improve each other mm -hmm. uh, as well. And that can keep scaling outward if you're both now interested in meeting great people. And that's how great networks start and yep. continue to grow. Yeah. Uh, one thing about that is for those out there that might think about that and wonder what I want to um, maintain my artistic independence. And that's that's totally fine. You can have your own zone where where you're building yourself and who you are as an artist. Just understand that in this business, in the end, you're not just working alone. Like Anna mentioned, there will be other people that you uh, come across that you're going to have to cooperate with mm -hmm. if you want to grow in this industry professionally. So I think the key is learning how to be a team worker mm. and um, understanding uh, what your goals and vision is, how to uh, communicate that with each other and learning about what the other person's uh, goals and visions are and how can we align and, and move together, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. That's so important yeah. to have a shared vision and a yeah. shared compass, yeah. basically. And that all comes down to communication. Yeah. Communication is the number one thing. Mm -hmm. And it's, uh, I have thought this for many years that sometimes talent even comes second to good communication. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Because if you're easy to work with and you're someone that like, people like being around you because you have good energy, you always have good suggestions or good input, or you're just very helpful. Like, mm -hmm. oh, how can I help? How can I contribute? Yeah. That type of thing. And, and you're not just saying it to be heard, saying like you do generally yeah. follow through on yeah. that. I'll have that caveat. But if you are someone who's consistently looking to contribute value, it doesn't even necessarily matter if you have the skill right this very second. If you demonstrate an aptitude towards learning and, and willingness to change your approach and to learn from the people in your life, mm -hmm. that can take you so far as compared to coming to something thinking you know everything you don't. Mm -hmm. And not being open to changing your approach in life based on other people's input, i.e. getting feedback. Mm -hmm. That's yeah. the number one thing is taking that feedback mm -hmm. well and having the gumption to give other people the feedback where it's appropriate too. Like, hey, I noticed this thing. I feel like this can be proven this way. What do you think? Instead of just barking that at someone else, like, no, you should change this, this, and this, and not giving any context in terms of why they should change that. It's that two-way communication yep. that really makes a successful team and a relationship. Yeah, the, the feedback thing is such a, it's an interesting topic as well, because um, this is something that I've had sort of various learning experiences that have evolved through my journey around feedback, which is like, Yes, you should be open to feedback and, and hear a bunch of people's advice. But at the end of the day, it's still you that should make a decision and be discerning. And sometimes the feedback that you're going to get isn't actually, rarely, but once in a while, sometimes that feedback isn't actually the right call. Mm -hmm. And uh, I wanted to bring up this example because it's very kind of topical. Um, Deviant, uh, as the label, is going to be releasing uh, my next single from my debut album, River Flows. Thank you. Thank you. Um, yes, it's a huge, huge um really special project for me. And uh, so this is a track with Nympho. And just a little bit of the backstory with that track specifically is that I had originally, uh, with Tear, we recorded that vocal for a completely different song, uh, completely different kind of instrumental. And 
then it went to the label that it was supposed to be on and they had actually said we don't like certain elements of this vocal and the elements they were talking about was the 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 song itself has a little bit more of my uh sometimes i go into my like rap mc kind of style spoken word style and they didn't really they didn't really dig it totally fine artist subjective um but there was something about it where i was like you know what this is one of those times where i actually think maybe maybe not that I don't want to say that they're wrong but for me I I wanted to hold on to the vocal and usually when when a label asks me for to change something in a track I I will because mm-hmm. you know I want to be agreeable I want to do you know for the shared vision but in this particular case I was like you know what I feel like they're wrong and like I want to hold on to this vocal and we're not going to release it on this label uh didn't end up releasing it with the original producer and instrumental so I had this vocal and then many months later i had sent it to nympho saying like do you think you might uh, be interested in like coming up with an instrumental for this and so he completely changed the arrangement the vibe in the instrumental is completely different and at the end of the day we're left with this song that i'm so happy it worked out in this way mm-hmm. because it just feels like one of my most special projects and it was because i respectfully declined to take the feedback at that time yeah. so it's just it's just an interesting thing where like yeah you should nine times out of ten take feedback and you know be agreeable but once in a while you kind of gotta hold your ground when it comes to certain decisions or or rather at the end of the day still make your own decision yeah when it comes down to it feedback is only about opening up your perspective about mm. different options in the end it is still your artistic decision and you have to do what's right for you you have to follow your um your vision your instinct on something you have to listen to that inner voice when you make that decision when it comes down to it feedback is just feedback you have to take that for what it is and analyze the various options and find what's right for you yeah, well said. yeah, and I would argue even in that case, you did take feedback, you just didn't apply it. Right. Because ultimately, you're, you were listening, you were willing to consider a different perspective, and you, as an artist, decided that that would violate the integrity of what your vision was too much to then make it what they were looking for. So in the end, the right decision was to just keep it as it was, figure it out later, and I would argue that was for the best, yeah. because I really think actually the instrumental that Bardo uh, wrote for you was a perfect fit. So far, the people who have mm-hmm. heard it at the time of this filming uh, have been really, really enthusiastic about it. They've loved what they've been hearing. I think it's great. I know Alan really likes it as well. Um, so really, maybe it was supposed to happen this totally. way. I think so. Um, so serendipitous that in this case, that when you decided that your artistic integrity was number one and you couldn't deviate too much from that, that in actuality, that worked out better for you because you made the right call. I I agree 100%. And it makes me realize too, like I have a very similar example of when things went the other way, which is had a similar thing where, and I guess I'm just trying to like inject my like MC style here and there. And sometimes it works and sometimes it's not appropriate. But uh, we were talking about this the other day too, where um, my older collab with Edland called Moonlight came out on Liquicity. Um, and that original track, I also had a vocal that was a little bit more of like a rappy verse. And they're like, you know what? We don't really think that this is like a fit. And I'm like, you know what? Okay, that's okay. I'll try not to take it personal. Mm-hmm. Took it out, changed some things. And we were seeing the other day, it's like one of 
my highest streamed tracks mm-hmm. on Spotify. And I personally still like don't fully get why that resonated so much with people because I think I've had some better work. But this is an example of me taking the label's feedback and it, and it worked out in the end because yeah. more people actually liked yeah. it. <laughs> it comes down case by case. Again, you just got to follow your instinct and feel it out in terms of what is right for this particular situation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's funny too because in um, you know let me know your guys' experience with this as well. But it's often the case that the tracks that you don't personally identify with the most are often the ones that people yeah. end up identifying with. <laughs> I've heard that from David Draymond of Disturbed fame all the way down to every yeah. artist I've talked to. It yeah. seems like the, just the tracks that you're least connected to are the ones that are most available to be into the world somehow. Mm-hmm. Maybe there's something to be said about that, by the way. Uh, of how you know when a track is done it's no longer yours mm-hmm. or that kind of yeah, no, I know it's superstitious thinking but it's that kind of idea of now that you have managed to export the track out of your computer and upload it and it's out of your life it really and truly is out of your life it's not your track anymore it belongs mm-hmm. to the world at large and to the art sphere at large and sometimes maybe there's something to be said about how the track that you have really and truly let go of like you no know, this zero percent uh, belongs to me anymore. Mm-hmm. Maybe there's something to be said about how you've really allowed it to be in the world, and sometimes that has an effect on how much people identify mm-hmm. with that track because you've completely released it out of your artistic endeavors. Just, just my two cents. It's an interesting perspective. I, I kind of see it more like you never really know what's going to be a commercial success. And sometimes you can think like, yes, there are certain things where like, you know, things will be more probable to be more commercially acceptable than not. But it seems to me like in history with, with music, with business products, a lot of the times it's like, it just happens to be a, a commercial mainstream success and who knew like it wasn't planned to be that way and then funny enough when you do plan like major record labels will plan to like make something a commercial success then it doesn't work out because then there's something that's not like an inherent artistic iconic spark or whatever because they're just trying to emulate what was a commercial hit before so who knows yeah, <laughs> I, I can definitely relate because um, I, I've done a number of studio farts which became uh, commercial success <laughs> Successes and it was. Uh, I did this one track. I'm not gonna name it for now because uh, don't don't want to get there. But I intentionally uh, said I'm gonna just fart and just see what happens. <laughs> and it became a commercial success. I was like, whoa, <laughs> is that how easy it is? <laughs> Maybe I should just keep farting. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Those are my friends are words yeah. to live by. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's the one clip I'm gonna take yeah. from this. Yeah. <laughs> Do you think we can put that in a really beautiful font? Oh, absolutely. Below your profile picture with all this, like, Just keep farting. (laughs) Secret to success. Um, It is is so bizarre and interesting, though, that, like, you point out that, like, we have to, at the end of the day, like, sometimes art is about having fun and exploring. Yeah. And yeah. we talk about this often where, like, I catch I myself... Sometimes. Yes, yeah. yes. And and I, I just, I so often catch myself, like, taking things too seriously and continuing to try to force something that's just not working yeah. and then having to step back and to think, like, okay, 
I'm supposed to be exploring. And then you see so many artists that are also just experimenting and that kind of thing. And then that's what a helps them like just have more fun and be more fulfilled. And then it ends up resonating more because it's more genuine and authentic. Yeah. Like, I think that's really what it is. You're just letting go of any preconceptions. I'm just here. I'm just going to have fun. I'm going to do whatever and not overthink it and see what happens here. And a lot of the times that's when magic happens in the studio. When you don't have any preconceived expectations, you're just there, you're present in the moment, in the situation, in the studio, and you're just open. I call it open to the pool of infinite possibilities, wow. right? So That's a good yes. way to look at it. Yeah. If, if you're sitting there thinking, how am I gonna make this perfect song? You're, you've already failed. Yeah. You, you've, con you've tried to contrive this ideal notion of what your art is, that's a very unknowable thing. Your art changes all the time, mm -hmm. actually. Mm -hmm. uh, so I think the best thing you can do for your art is just to let it evolve in whatever direction that makes sense and follow. This is like the other podcast we did, is to constantly be following your inspiration and building what it was that already makes you a great artist, but then tacking on another interesting layer to that to see where it might take you. and. The thing with learning how to make music, I think a lot of people's experience is that they feel a lot of their best work sometimes uh, ends up being behind them, and that their easiest inspiration also ends up being behind them, despite having a wealth of knowledge on how to write songs and how to produce songs and content and how to sound design and do all these types of things. And ironically, you end up being fruitless when you get stuck in your wealth of knowledge. Mm -hmm. It was through yeah. this unknown of wanting to take the next step in the dark cave of how do I do blah mm. in Ableton is actually when you learn that technique, it gets baked into your song and then the whole song is kind of based around <clears throat> that thing that you just learned. But then when you don't feel like you have anything to learn, where are you gonna go next? And so keeping an open mind to yeah. just being there to create and to do stuff is the number one priority because if your goal is to constantly be making better music all the time, at some point, you will plateau, I promise. You will get as good as you can get at mixing, you will get as good as you can get at writing riffs and little things like that. So try not to take it too, too seriously because really, you're not out of ideas. You're just, you're in a moment right now where you might feel like, I don't have an idea right this very second. Mm -hmm. That's totally fine. You're gonna have a month where you might not have any yeah. ideas. So don't let this be the one thing that now I guess I can't write music anymore because I don't have the inspiration right now. I really mm -hmm. want to make a great track right now. But that deferred gratification of, you know what, I'm going to keep coming back to this. I'm going to keep trying to find my momentum. I'm going to find my momentum all sorts of different ways. And Alan, I'd love to know your experience on this, but I find probably 10 to 1 the most inspiring thing for writing cool riffs and taking tracks in different directions. Honestly, it's just talking to and working with other artists. Mm -hmm. yeah. But I'd like to know your experience on that. Yeah, for sure. There definitely can be, a, a, as I said, synergy when you have someone in the studio that you vibe with. We talk about this a lot. That other person may not have to be even creatively active in that space, mm -hmm. but just having that uh, other person, you, they, they, it, it's almost like there, there's this hive mind happening there mm -hmm. because you're conscious uh, that there's another person there uh, experiencing the session. So somehow um, you may, I wonder if you may make like decisions 
that you normally wouldn't make、mm. if you were alone, right? I wonder if、uh, if that makes sense. That totally、guys. makes sense,、yeah. and I've experienced that before writing music at your place. Yeah,、um, punishment was yeah. written at your place almost ninety nine percent of. I mixed it and whatever at home,、mm-hmm. uh, but I don't write Bushman like steppers like that normally. But it、yeah. was the vibe of being in your place、yeah. and having all of your influence and all the posters and the different speakers and the、mm-hmm. different setup and、yeah. different sample libraries,、yeah. different synths, different、yeah. processors, and all、yeah. that kind of thing. Yeah.、Uh, And I've written quite a few tracks that sound nothing like what I normally write、yeah. at your studio.、Yeah. So I absolutely agree. I think this is a studied phenomenon, by the way. I was gonna say it、yeah. seems to me that something that like, and this is me getting more into like the spiritual zone,、yeah. but I do feel like you're. Probably picking up on that other person's energy and vibe, and you're literally like, yeah, like not just alone in your own vibe. You're now like the mixing of like other people's pre-、yeah. presence literally affects, you know, the vibe. I'm gonna say vibe like four more times. <laughs> yeah, I, I think yeah, there, I think empathy there come plays a role, like the like understanding the other person and feeling that energy and、mm-hmm. feeding off it.、Mm. It's a lot like. DJing, I may play but much better sets when when I have people to interact with because <laughs> there's almost this feedback loop. If I play a track and and I see a response, I can pick up on what should come next, that kind of thing.、Mm. So I think in terms of studio sessions, that can work similarly. You're 100 percent right,、yeah. especially about DJing. Yeah. I cannot play to an empty room.、Mm-hmm. I'm sorry. Yeah. And I can't practice on my own either. It's just not going to work for me. Yeah. It's too clinical. It's too technical.、Yeah. It's too dead. Yeah. Like all of this, like a big live loud PA speakers and all the equipment for DJing. That's meant to be enjoyed with other people. Yeah. And I think it's the same thing, by the way, as smoking and doing drugs on your own. <laughs> Of like, what's the point of that? Other、mm-hmm. than just being addicted、okay. to it. That, <laughs> I enjoyed it alone back in the day. But sure, but I, I sort of heard that it's problematic. Know, <laughs> yeah, it, it's for I, like it's kind of a, a saying that goes around of like if you can't, if you only,、uh, if you only do stuff like that for the enjoyment and kind of group type of thing for other people, then it ends up possibly being a good experience for you. But it's when you take it outside of the experience and you're、yeah. just doing it for the chemical hit、yeah. is when you're probably not coming at it from the right angle. And I think music, because we're creatures and we kind of respond similarly to different situations, there's probably something to be said about just us being group creatures、mm-hmm. and needing the support of your your fellow man. Essentially,、mm-hmm. it, you you can exist isolated for a, a time. Uh, but there will come a point where you need to show your music to other people,、mm-hmm. where you need to release it, get it out into the world.、Mm-hmm. There's no reason why that line can't transcend the making of the music itself, even if it's just you know your significant other, maybe they're not a musician, but they just come into the room, checking out your stuff, that kind of thing. You might be more critical of stuff than something you were ignoring for、right. a long time, and you'll be self-conscious of oh you know、yeah. what maybe this lyric or maybe this riff that I put in there, maybe it's not quite the catchy thing that I just in my own little bubble. Thought it was going to be right because、so、you're now、yeah. literally starting to hear things from another person's perspective because、mm-hmm. you're literally、yeah. self-conscious. There's another consciousness、yeah. perceiving like what's、yeah. happening. Yeah, one hundred percent. I've definitely experienced to the the reverse benefit 
so what's the opposite of benefit con pros and con the yeah. cons of like having having another person's presence in the room and it's my whole thing around like the performance anxiety with with singing where I feel very comfortable singing on my own I'm singing all the time I'm practicing all the time and then as soon as there's one other human being in the room let alone like a crowd or even like yeah. a, a like an audience through like a stream where they're not even in the room but like I feel the presence of like people watching it just completely like chemically changes like my physical reaction to it and uh, I can't calm my heart down like I'm nervous and so um it's yeah it's just it's like a physical thing that happens when there is other human beings present Mm -hmm. yeah (laughs) um Alan I have a I, I was realizing that like in our last podcast episode that you joined me, I had a whole bunch of sort of questions prepared and I loved our conversation and we got into a lot of uh, sort of more present day stuff and, you know, effects of the pandemic and that kind of thing. And one of the questions that I didn't get to that I'd love to sort of get into a little bit now is um, your, your like early days getting into to music i don't actually know sort of how you uh you know were interested in music in the first place and and your growth because when i first discovered you um you were already kind of one of the most in my eyes like legendary toronto producers that came out of canada and i remember when i first discovered drum and bass you were one of the only canadian names i ever saw and like track lists and that kind of thing and having had releases on labels so i was always like so proud and uh, of you and like admired you from afar and then uh um and then so you know having you know met you and then becoming friends with you and over time starting to work with you more and more has been like a really really uh big honor for Mm -hmm. me and um I'd love to sort of take it back to like your early days and um yeah what kind of got you into music and and what were those early days like yeah well first off that's very humbling to hear that I, I definitely appreciate it when 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 I hear people like yourself respect uh, what I've done. Uh, sometimes I almost don't think so highly of myself. So mm. it's it's nice to hear that feedback. When it comes to uh, my own music and how I got started, I think I've always been interested in music ever since uh, I was very young. There has always been an interest in listening and liking good music. I, uh, my dad was really into music. My mother oh, really? was into really into music. My dad had had a really nice vinyl collection. Wow. He uh, had um, really good records from like the Bee Gees, Madonna, ABBA. So I was exposed to early kind of disco slash pre-electronic music and I, I've always gravitated to more electronic beats when I heard an electronic beat whether it's Depeche Mode or some other kind of like African Bombada back mm. in the day I was like really just intrigued by that hypnotic beat and no other style of music has ever resonated with me and that has always been uh, like that for me ever since at a very young age like four or five years old just loving electronic based beats it's something about that it just sounded i didn't even know what it was but i just knew it sounded futuristic like it was really out there even at a young age and that interest of music so has always been with me and my uh parents bought us um a yamaha keyboard when i was probably eight or nine years old it's just like two octave little thing with various PCM sounds and I would I used to uh, 
it, it had this like automatic drum beat thing, so you can turn it. Turn on this drum beat, and I would used to like make little melodies. I didn't know musical notation at that time. I I didn't know anything about music. I just knew if I press this key and then this key, that sounds nice. So I just start and and so I I created my own notation method. I just yeah. numbered the keys. I was like, all right, uh, if I hit one, three, five, four, that might sound good. If you hit it in this rhythm, that might be a cool song. So I started. That was my first inkling into like wow. writing. Music. I was probably eight or nine years old, and、uh, so I have always been interested in the process of writing music. However, I did go into a band in um, in um, junior high, but never really resonated with like academic. Music education.、Mm-hmm. I was more into just learning things on my own. I was just more into what I was into, right? So it was not until、um, later on I discovered、um, Euro dance music in in the nineties and Asa bass. That's when thing I think things started to open. I started to really then I was probably twelve, thirteen years old. That's when I started to really. Uh, discover music on my own, going out there and looking for music, and、um, I, I, I was probably going into grade nine. That's went from Euro dance. That's my first,、uh, I guess, introduction to official、mm. dance music. And then a friend of mine from junior high、uh, lent me this、uh, warehouse CD, this house music CD with like a ten track of. Of classic house music from like、um, the Bucketheads, Armin Van Helden, Josh Wink, and it just sounded so foreign to me at that time. I was like, "This is so different from what I've grown up to." But it has a similar beat. It sounds futuristic, yet it sounds very raw. What is this? I need to learn more about this, and that's when I discovered. What was I guess underground music, music that isn't commercially available, but if you dig around, you can find it. Or you, if you listen to late night radio at like twelve or one a.m. on college radio, you'll hear these foreign exotic beats, which was so just intriguing to me, and I was just hooked to the style of music. And,、uh, and since I had an interest in making music, I had to find out how do you make this music. I had to. I I I want to do this. This is the stuff I want to do. And then, one thing led to another. I found some mentors in Toronto. They showed me a few. I guess showed me my first steps into learning various early software, and that's pretty much how I got started. Wow. Yeah. And what's interesting is that there's a lot of overlap with how you got into electronic music and how I got into electronic music. Okay.、Uh, in in the last episode,、uh, I only remembered through just kind of going through the memory bank further and further、yeah. of that. I too also got a keyboard when I was really young. Yeah. It was a Casio SK1. Okay. I won't rehash the whole thing, but basically, it's a sampling keyboard with 1.4 seconds of sampling on it. Ooh. I know it's so much. Wow. <laughs>、uh, and you could transpose the samples. You could play up to four notes at once. Yeah.、Uh, and you could also have a drum machine in the background.、Crazy. So I didn't really have a concept of the music either, but I just kind of started, you know, messing around with the keys, see what、yeah. kind of sounds are like, because there's like an organ sound, piano、yeah. sound, but the sampling was really what anyone cared about on an SK1. Uh, and all sorts of obscene sounds. What did you、there. sample?、Uh, anything really. Wow. Be,、uh, toilets flushing. To- <laughs> 
various things that you can find around the house, yeah. lawnmowers, telephones ringing, just to see how they sound and transpose all sorts of different pitches. Like uh, literally farting around in the studio. Literally farting around. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, so there was that going on. Yeah. And then I think my very first exposure, because as you were saying, you know, when you got your warehouse CD, yeah. I thought, oh, that's, that's good. When did I first hear like house music or anything yeah. that wasn't strictly analog based? Yeah. Probably All Stars 2000. Okay. Would have been the first time I heard that. Okay. Um, what was on there? Um. Oh man. Friday night, now select the way you move. It's like that kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. Kicking myself for not being able to remember any particular artist. If you just Google All Stars 2000, you'll find that CD for sure. Yeah. It's a silver like. Uh, What's it called when it has that like the colors that kind of come through when you turn it it's left like and right? Holographic? Yeah, kind of like a holographic CD okay. sort of thing. Um, not Tiesto, but that type of sound yeah. was on there where it was that early sampled drum sound type yeah. of thing. And I remember hearing that as like a very very small kid. It would have been only like what? Because two thousand would have come in nineteen ninety nine, so it would have been uh, seven at the time. Um, Hearing that and being like, this is super different than anything yeah. else uh, that I've heard. Because what I was familiar with is more like rock music. Yeah. Other times, specifically glam and hair metal. Yeah. Since that's what my dad would play a lot mm. around the house. Yeah. Um, so for me, hearing that completely opposite end of the spectrum where going from no samples to almost everything is samples, yeah. it really nice. kind of gives your head a bit of a shake. <laughs> yeah. I think yeah. that's maybe why I ended up ending in the neurofunk heart, like harder music mm. on it because it had both those influences right. kind of em embroiled in my yeah. experience of right. hard, heavy riffs. <laughs> like, well, as hard as Blandell yeah. is going to be, yeah. but you know what I mean? The distorted tones of that, the like hard edge, the whole thing is trying to put off. Then this kind of like almost popcorn bubbly type of thing going on with like commercial pop house music so i'm very thankful i had all these different influences and my grandmother was the one who showed me abba yeah actually uh i, I don't think i can ever get dancing queen note for note out of my head <laughs> it's just it's burned into so many people's consciousness yeah. at this point yeah uh but terrific writing on those records by the way it's mm. unbelievable how good yeah um the, the the production was on those same thing with um uh what, what was the duo that produced uh yeah jimmy jam and terry lewis uh, those guys made a lot of uh, oh. Janet Jackson okay. songs among, I mean, among so many other people. I think they have like 500 writing credits or something like that. But it has um, that kind of feel to it. It's very funky. It's very yeah. fresh, but it has disco influences to it. And I yep. think I can hear a little hints of that in your music uh, as it goes along because I think you have more of a melody focus as well. Absolutely. That ear and mind worm that you can sing to yourself. Because mm -hmm. how are you supposed to sing a neurofunk track to yourself? Mm. It's just a bunch of loud noises and a bunch of like crazy kick. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know that song that goes. Tch, 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 tch. Yeah. <laughs> it's not gonna work. Yeah. But it, but if I can think of like you know even if we're like na, 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 like in preacher I, yeah. I can hear that right away. Yeah. I think you have a good ear for picking out stuff that can stand above the rest of the mix. Even if you forget what the whole track sounds mm -hmm. like, having the one little thing that you can say. It's like hey, does anyone know that song? And then you can identify it that way. I think yeah. it's a very, very powerful tool, and it's interesting that that kind of crept into your 
influences. Yeah, that, that's a really good observation because it is true. I've always gravitated to strong hooks or themes or little things that you can sing along to. I'm really big on really uh, hooky kind of chords, like, like the chords you find on old Two Unlimited, that kind of thing, mm-hmm. like minor triads played in a sequence. And you'll probably find that a lot in my music. And, and that's true. Like the music that we listen, uh, of course, has an influence in what, what we create, right? What was your journey towards like jungle and, and starting to create jungle and then kind of coming up in the Toronto scene like early on with like Gremlins and those guys? Oh, great question. I wondered that myself. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, so when I got into house music, I started producing house music first, mm-hmm. right? That was my thing, but I didn't know anything about jungle at the moment, but that was around. I think uh, late 96 when I started uh, messing with Fast Tracker, making house music. But a year and a half after, I started to hear all about this jungle thing. There was a lot of publicity on Goldie's album, mm-hmm. like his album Timeless was on Rolling Stones magazine. So I was really intrigued about what is this jungle thing? And then they started to play it on like commercial radio like shouts out to mc flipside and freaky flow they used to have an uh, hour and a half show on energy 108 for those that remember hopefully i'm not dating myself <laughs> <laughs> but yeah um saturday nights uh, mc flipside would have this show on primetime radio where he could play whatever he wants and he would play underground house music and then freaky philo would come on and he would throw down some like hard amen ragga jungle i said whoa this stuff's crazy and then i started um i discovered medicine muffin show on um rinse fm no not rinse fm uh, c c i c k l n that's uh Ryerson University's um, uh, college radio. Uh, I think it's now defunct, but uh, Medicine Muffin had his show. It was called the Rinse Out Show. Hmm. I think that's what it was called. And then then I discovered Marcus's show on 89.5, U of T's radio. And so started to get more exposed to Jungle that way and started to buy various... um, compilations such as metalheads reinforce at first when i was exposed to hardcore jungle i actually didn't like it i was Mm -hmm. actually taken by aback by how extreme how how crazy Mm -hmm. it was but it only it took a few lessons for me to to understand but once i understood i was hooked i was like this this music is crazy and i want to make this music Mm-hmm. Wow! Yeah. I think you were just so inspired. You just had to like yeah, yeah. get in there. Right? How am I going to contribute? There, there was this almost kind of punk rock vibe to Jungle at the time. It was there's this rebellion kind of vibe where you can do anything you want. You can express yourself. There's no rules in this music. Go hard, go soft. Put whatever sounds you want, whatever samples. And I liked that kind of vibe. It it, it fit. It fit what I wanted to do at the time because I was a uh, younger teenage less a teenage angst and mm. needed somewhere mm-hmm. to output it so what was your decision making around um like deciding what you wanted to do for for your school and your career at that time because uh I feel like maybe we had a, a yeah. slightly similar journey where I was interested in music my whole life 
did the thing, but when it came to school and specifically like university, I did not go to a music university. Uh-huh. I specifically, you know, I went to business school and I, and I did other things all the while kind of like continuing to, to work on music on the side. But sometimes I think back and like, you know, should I have gone to music school? And for me personally, I, I, I still think the answer is no. Like I'm glad I ended up yeah. doing the, the journey that I did, but I'm, I'm curious for yourself as well. Like what was your sort of journey there and like decision making around yeah yeah so personally I've always been a little more on the artistic side I wanted I was aside from uh, music I was really into sketching I used to sketch my own comic book characters and that kind of thing Uh, before I got into music I really wanted to be um, like a comic book illustrator like Jim Lee and Todd McFarlane were my heroes when I I was a kid I really wanted to do that then later I got into uh, doing music when I came to make a decision after high school into university I actually really wanted to get into uh, something more artistic such as uh, graphic design or, Mm -hmm. or something but me coming from an Asian household a traditional Chinese household you're educational decisions are more uh, decided upon by your parents, mm-hmm. right? I voiced my my wishes and my current, my uh, desires, but really the options were business mm-hmm. or engineering, <laughs> right? <laughs> and yeah, so I had a really good talk with one of my, uh, my uh, mentors, um, talking about what should I do here like um, well and he advised me well you if you take business it can give you you'll you'll have skills that can you can be applied to whatever you want to get into later in life it'll give you general skills on how to conduct yourself and your Mm -hmm. business so that I decided well engineering is gonna be really brutal for years might not be into it versus doing business uh, bachelors of commerce economics not that into it but i can do it and still have free time to do my Mm -hmm. music so i end up doing a bachelors of economics at the u of t um barely read a single page in my textbooks spent most of my time making music when i was at the lecture halls I was dozing off, trying to <laughs> trying to catch up on sleep from the last night, being up at 3 a.m. working on the next Amen track. Really surprised how I was able to <laughs> graduate, but uh, somehow I, I was able to get it through and got my degree. I'm very, I mean, I'm very thankful of my parents of um, uh, for for supporting me with an education because mm. an, an education is important in this day and age. I mean, that could be argued in 2021, but I would say it did give me uh, some understanding of marketing, negotiating. I think my favorite class that I ever took from my tenure at university was Negotiations (laughs) 101. Uh, That was the one class that I found most practical skills that you can actually apply in in your life, no matter what you do. Interesting. Yeah, yeah negotiation is everything. Everything is technically mm-hmm. negotiation. Yeah. You know, you, uh, on some sort of microscopic level of what snack will I get out of the cupboard, yeah. all the way up to... <laughs> yeah, everything. Is in uh, how do you decide who's going to move what way on the sidewalk? Right. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> in, in, in all matter of 
facts. Yeah. Your whole life is some sort of negotiation yeah. all the time. Yeah. So I, it's not hard to understand why that might have actually been an interesting course. Yeah. And I had kind of a similar experience with uh, post-secondary education, except mm-hmm. I didn't get any sort of what I would call a degree. Um, if anything, going to post-secondary and not getting very far with it uh, a couple of times just showed me why that was not the right mm-hmm. direction for me to go is to sit in a classroom and take all these notes about things I couldn't possibly care less about. Yeah. Um, I needed to be spending my time doing things I was passionate about. Yeah. Um, but in order for me to do that, I had to discover what it was that I was passionate yeah. about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And for a lot of people, that's a very tricky thing to answer because yeah. mm-hmm. we all like stuff. We all like watching TV, but you can't be passionate about yeah. watching TV. Yep. You have to find something that you can do a bit of both with, where there is that relaxing, fun element for you, but that it does serve a meaningful purpose in the world. Yes. And that other people can get enjoyment off of. No one wants to sit here and listen to you recount your favorite TV show. (laughs) Sorry. But people will be interested if you're on the flyer for a concert because you're throwing down some cool dubs or you've got like a new album coming out or even if you're not, you're just there to support and play a good show. That enables other people to have a really good time because you're now a audio lubricant for other people's interactions at the venue or the club or wherever you're at because you're the one setting the atmosphere and then their memories will sometimes be based entirely upon whatever song that you chose to play mm-hmm. that night and you can have a direct impact on people's lived memory of a show that they went to. Oh, remember that time when I heard that first song? Case in point. Yeah, the first time I heard uh, like Martin's remix of um, the Ivy Lab. Tune Sunday Cross. Yeah, uh, Memphis's remix of uh, Sunday Cross was with Calix and TV. And I will always associate that track with Calix and TV now because that was sort of my first moment hearing a sound like that before. Like, well, are you kidding me? This track is it's absolutely insane. And shout out uh, for Memphis making such a great tune still. But point is, uh, you can be that catalyst for other people's great memories mm-hmm. in a creative and artistic and fun way. So you still have a great time yourself, mm-hmm. but everyone's not sharing as part of the great time. So you're not just sort of solipsistically doing this one thing that only you find benefit from like scrolling around the internet or like watching television or whatever. And to be fair, there are people who make careers nowadays as content creators talking about their favorite TV shows, like being journalists or whatever with like the top 10, like Like you're making a video that you can have like spark a discussion. I mean, the wide majority case of you're just kind of letting the entertainment fall (laughs) onto you. Try to then, mirror some value back into the world if you're taking in this stuff how can you be a reflection of value and i feel like that's this the whole crux of like is the million dollar question and the the sort of the tension between yeah like i guess like asian households for me as well like with with russian parents and the sort of the soviet culture people coming from eastern europe to north america which is like yes you can this is the classic argument right like yes you can like follow your passion but is it going to make you money uh are you providing value to the world and like i feel like that is such a it's a difficult place to be in because yes, you need to house yourself and to feed yourself, but you also want to do something that is fulfilling and meaningful. Mm -hmm. And so I I feel like it's such a difficult thing to, to answer. And I guess for everybody, it is a a little bit of a different journey. And, and I'm, I'm also curious, Alan, as well, like, um, how would you kind of compare what would be the scene as a creative person back then trying to, to make it in music versus kind of 
now, like, I feel like things are so different with how people can sort of a, like educate themselves as well as, um, create value as creative people versus like trying to come up back then where like for specifically for musicians, you had to get a record deal or as an artist, you had to get, uh, you know, a job with like a, a graphic book company or whatever. Yeah, I would say what a time it is to be an artist today because all you have so many tools at your disposal that you can really succeed and develop yourself as an independent artist. So I think that's one of the major differences for, uh, versus today versus against 20 years ago where uh, you may have to be more reliant on a label to do certain things for you. and. You, you make the music, you have to, uh, I guess, get it signed so you can get the support of a label and then a team to push you. Whereas today, a lot of those various tasks and services can somewhat be automated or uh, done independently. For example, I do a lot of my graphic design with Canva. Canva.com shouts out, not sponsored. Not, sponsor, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but not yet. Yeah. Please give us a shout. Yeah. 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 But like back in the day, you would have to do your own graphic design or learn graphic design, but not everyone could afford or get a copy of Photoshop. So you may have to hire a graphic designer and that could, you may not be able to afford that. So, and having visuals is important. But today it's so accessible to have a nice, Design. You can access nice templates with services such as Canva and you can tweak it to make your own. So there's th- little things like that that can really help the end- independent artists become almost autonomous, right? Hmm. Yeah, if you're not, um, there aren't people gatekeeping you anymore. Yeah, yeah. You have all of this different opportunity in front of you because you're right that having to pay maybe four or five thousand bucks, like big really considerable amount of money to do some visual design and art assets mm-hmm. that's within reach of a bigger company that's, yeah. that's not a problem but if yeah. you're having to take that out of your personal budget that's not always going to be guaranteed that that can even make sense for you financially because mm-hmm. how are you going to bet against your product that you're offering making enough money back to you to even make that worth it yeah you'll never even be able to take the chance on that new product because it's going to get too trampled uh, down by the overhead and all the expenses of other people that need to get paid first Mm -hmm. because you can't be in a million places all at the same time. This is the classic problem that people have and you're absolutely right. I love that the uh, proliferation of cheap, affordable online services, even finding freelancers on Fiverr and, and things of that nature have enabled people to not even have to hire an entire staff, but still get the benefits of what would otherwise constitute yeah. staff, mm-hmm. which is how do I get someone to figure out this problem? Uh, Google it, see yeah. if I can find someone to find mm-hmm. it. You were just going to Google that problem 20 years ago. I mean, you could have, but you'd get to redirect to an ad to a Yellow Pages thing where they call this thing, they'll consult you. You have no idea if they're ripping you off right. or what the rig. You're going to have to spend all day calling all these different services and consultants and whatever else. But now, yeah. it couldn't be easier to get your head screwed on straight and figure it out. Okay, well, what's, what is my best approach? You can probably watch a YouTube video yeah. on just for an hour on how to do good graphic design for album art or something like that. Like you can actually grab all of the rudiments of good quality design anywhere and anytime. 
So I'm, I'm very pleased that this is the direction we're going because we're really kind of democratizing knowledge as a phrase you've heard yeah. before. Yeah, absolutely. We're, we're, yeah. we're not gatekeeping it anymore. Exactly, almost democratizing the entire industry. So, uh, for example, another aspect of it is creating an audience. Back then, you would have to rely on um, build on a label or maybe a, a, a website to, to build an audience, right? But now you can create your audience with all these social media tools in that you, you, you can be self-sufficient and create, create your own following by uh, interacting and building up your following on these various platforms. So, yeah. yeah. It's also really interesting that like, uh, I don't know which is better and I don't think it needs to be decided, but like nowadays because it's so accessible and really anybody can do it at the same time, because it's so accessible, like so many more people are kind of putting themselves out there, following their creative passions. And then it's like still that, com that competitive as mm -hmm. a result. Mm -hmm. And so I wonder like, now, the, the thing I, I appreciate about kind of the sphere of, of social media and creativity these days is that it does seem that while it's so competitive and there's so many creative people out there, um, I do like that things like TikTok have shown us that when you're genuine, like that seems to, to resonate. Mm -hmm. Whereas like when I kind of compare like that. Life. Yes. Yeah. And, and I feel like when I compare that to like the, the big pop artists that I was exposed to when I was yeah. growing up in the nineties. Uh, and, and when, you know, every artist is very like curated and packaged by yeah. a label to be like super marketable and you'd almost don't even know for sure if like, is it that artist or is it they, they're representing like what the label has sort of like put together. So at least in this, the sphere of like it being so competitive to be a creative person, at least we can know that like, if you're genuine and you're hardworking, like you can yeah. um, push through kind of thing and have a chance at least. Mm -hmm. Well, and that is, as you just pointed out, a very great way to look at life in general. We don't like being around fake people mm -hmm. or people that are just trying to sell us something or trying to motivate us to do something that only benefits them. And I think this has always been true, but the difference is that the sunlight is now kind of bleaching away all of that negative influence where now there's a spotlight on everybody at any given time. Mm -hmm. Anyone can make a viral video at any time mm. that exposes something that shows like a new technique for something or just blows your mind or yeah. does something that's unique. That wasn't true before. It was mm -hmm. always just a select curated group of people that were allowed to disseminate yeah. the information to you. Yeah. And you, for, for the privilege of seeing that, maybe paid $50, $60 a month to look at a very narrow... Uh, band of content where I love that for the price of your internet connection now. I mean, I don't even know anyone under 35 who pays cable. It's just mm. we, we get all of our information now through the World Wide Web. Yeah. And I think it's, it, it is a much fairer way to appeal to your own interests and to get the things that you're looking for instead of being force-fed a narrative. And you're absolutely right in that. Um, what people crave is realness. They want genuineness. I think that's why people especially connect with uh, The Strangest Channel mm -hmm. is because how uh, how he is in person is not different to how he is on video. He is always genuine to the point, well, like a thoughtful, considerate person who just wants to give you the right information and doesn't want to waste your time uh, and would expect the same review, by the way. Mm -hmm. um, but you can be respectful of his time as well. But um, it's content creators like Alan 
that go further than other people because you can't keep up a charade like that forever. You'll always get a crack that will form. You'll get really mm. popular for some reason. Someone will take a video of you being rude to someone at a restaurant mm. or some sort of unfortunate thing where people can clearly see that this manicured version of how you're trying to present yourself is in all matter of fact, just a fiction. And you're a puppet over here, but then your real self, this wretched, completely different, underdeveloped type of personality still exists over here. But if you're putting your best and truest self in the spotlight, you allow yourself to take criticism for your own faults, which I mean, I think not a lot of people respond very well to, by the way, and you shouldn't be reading negative comments all day, mm -hmm. but you at least are given the opportunity to air out some of your own dirty laundry if you so choose and get real-time feedback on that where maybe someone you were just talking to on a one-on-one -on -one basis might have just thought you're kind of a weirdo or whatever, but you didn't fully maybe say anything to you, but that's the kind of double-edged sword if you can give people a ton of content. You can also really embarrass yourself too if you put out some questionable content online that doesn't reflect so nicely on you. Um, but I'll take that over having none of the opportunity anyway because you miss all the shots you can't take. And fortunately, if you're careful with your time and if you hang around the right people and you influence yourself in healthy ways, there is an immense amount of opportunity for you to help other people get value from your content, but also for you to meet great people too mm -hmm. through content mm -hmm. and develop really, excuse me, relationships that wouldn't normally be possible. We had a conversation about this of whole, a lot of your shows are call-in shows where people will be not physically situated anywhere, even reasonably in your proximity, but you can still make the show happen. Oh, like, like on Zoom. Yeah, on Zoom. They'll have the cameras and microphones all set up and whatever the email to you after, but you, you couldn't do that show right. unless you had the relationships that only were formed through your creative work through the internet. Right. But both those things had to happen. You had to be a genuine person who was easy to work with and who made good content but also use the network and infrastructure that everyone else who you also had to bet for being genuine and honest up mm. and creative and all that type of thing. Um, but really genuineness shows. And once again, it proves if you could be a great person who's motivated, it's very unlikely that you won't find some momentum somewhere, but if you have to be coming about from the right approach. And I feel like I hear all the time, well, why isn't this working out for me? I can't help but ask myself, are you being genuine? Are you really, trying to give people value or are you trying to find someone who's just going to help you? Because mm -hmm. right? are, are you really asking me, like, is it not that things are popping off for you? Is that, have I not met someone who is just going to do all the work for me and pick my own bootstraps up? Mm -hmm. I can't help but wonder. It's probably not the case for everybody, but you have to always be honest with your intentions and want to help other people as mm -hmm. much as you want to be helped. Mm -hmm. But that's how things start popping off for content popping off mm -hmm. um speaking of popping off uh you like my segue there <laughs> That's a great segue. Uh, thank you thank you <laughs> um alan i'm curious uh how you kind of approached starting deviant audio back in 2016 mm -hmm. and sort of what kind of came like how did how did that come about why did you decide to to do that and yeah so um i was uh just just really just wanting or struggling with with uh, finding an outlet for my my music and I, f I found that perhaps 
my sound didn't fit certain labels. I, I, I tried really hard to get my tunes out to various different platforms, but it seemed like it, it wasn't resonating. Perhaps it wasn't the vibe that they were looking for and decided that perhaps it's time to create my own platform where I can decide what I want to put out. I don't need to um, uh, steer towards a sound that someone else wants. Mm -hmm. I can uh, explore something my own way and have kind of creative freedom to express myself in my own way. So I think that that's what was the initial feeling is just wanting to put music out, having no platform. Well, why don't I create my own platform? And I was uh, ruminating, ruminating over this for, for many days and even weeks and also wondering what kind of what was the name mm-hmm. I should uh, go for and um, one morning uh, you just get one of those light bulb uh, kind of eureka thoughts and uh, the first word it wasn't deviant but it was devious I was like devious that sounds interesting it's leading to something and then that led thinking about that a little more it developed into deviant and I thought that kind of makes sense because my music doesn't really fit anywhere else so it perhaps I'm deviating Mm -hmm. from the norm I'm exploring I'm pushing boundaries or pushing myself and exploring different boundaries right so I, I think it, it just seemed to fit the kind of personal ethos of what I was doing as an artist. And and I was also around a number of artists and friends who made music that I wanted to support and, and wanted to create this platform so we could all put music out on there. And that's kind of how Deviant Audio came about. Wow. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. yeah. And, I, and I like how genuine the roots are of that, mm-hmm. too. It's that you weren't coming at it from, like, well, how can I possibly milk every dollar out of whatever sort of... Not, nothing like mm-hmm. that. You had a great library of music that you yeah. felt needed to be heard. Yeah. A difficult process of trying to find anyone who would take it. Yeah. And a lot of talented friends that you had that were making amazing content who they, too, were, for mm-hmm. one reason or another, couldn't mm-hmm. find themselves in mm-hmm. front of an audience mm-hmm. that... You knew that they would love, but they just can't quite break through. Yeah. All right, I'll fix it myself. Yeah. And then, so began DB9. Mm-hmm. And I think that was easily one of the top five best decisions you've ever made. Thank you, man. Because it, it really has already had such a noticeable impact in the content sphere of music that's available and yeah. of creative endeavors that we're slowly getting into that I think are really going to help people in a big way. Yeah, we're trying to make a small little dent in that universe by doing doing our best and trying to put, put a good vibe up there. Mm-hmm. I do want to talk a little bit about kind of the, the future of Deviant and the, the three of us know mm-hmm. we've been hard at work for the last few months kind of working towards that and don't want to give too much away, but I, I love that that was the origin story of Deviant because I, I, I didn't even know that. Yeah. I just always kind of had this feeling that yeah. this is something that like I believe in what you're doing and I, and I love the sound of the label and just your kind of curation and your kind of way of doing business of being a creative and nice person. And it's, it's just one of those things where like, I just want to support you and what you're doing with deviant. And so, um, I'd love to maybe if you could maybe hint a little yeah, bit for at sure. what's, what's coming in the future for deviant. Yeah. We're really excited for some plans that may, that will be executed and are being executed 
executed behind the scenes in the coming weeks or months. What I can say generally is that we're going to be offering some amazing stuff to support artists out there. We're going to be providing something that if you're looking to grow and you need a space to grow, that kind of thing, you need support, we're going to be something really we're working on something really cool where we can support those people that you guys that are interested in getting into music people you guys that want to grow and develop your skills anyone that wants to meet like-minded people we're working on something really cool yeah yeah i think the 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 thoughtful among you should be able to put two and two together Mm -hmm. there i think Mm -hmm. but uh yeah i'm really looking forward to that exact thing because I think our ability to help artists through the plans that we're working on is going to be hugely increased by doing this and that's really what's exciting to me because that's kind of the whole messaging of your channel really is being able to bring good tools and assets and thought like sort of mind state type of things all those the the things you can hold and the things you can't Mm -hmm. all into one place of how can we help Artists, yeah, and I like that. That's a continuation on the whole theme of what the Stranger Brands mm-hmm. even is of a streaming universe. Exactly. So for those that don't know, my personal mission is to help anyone that wants to succeed in music. I want to provide you guys tools, skills and resources so that you can succeed in the realm of dance music or electronic music. But whatever I show can be applied to pretty much any genre or style uh, that you choose. A lot of the knowledge is a little more general. So that is my personal mission and it only makes sense that deviant audio is an extension of my personal brand and really awesome to have these two amazing people here that resonate with that mission and goal Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah i think i it's it's really special to me that we've been able to become a Mm -hmm. team through Mm -hmm. the forces of us initially meeting and meeting Anna, then realizing that she was willing and able to help along with that cause and now all three of us are in completely distinct ways Mm -hmm pushing that forward mm-hmm. where none of us are really overlapping at all. Yeah. Like we have our own little niche that we can tackle onto and that is as good as being at three places at once. Yeah. Where the growth of something can only happen as fast as the people that are working on it yeah. and the people that are supporting it. Mm-hmm. So anytime little stuff like Deviant merch, mm-hmm. please feel free to check out yeah. Deviant oh, merch. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and, and in all matter of fact, right, like that kind of thing, ground up support, yeah. buying things through Bandcamp, like direct service or sales, stuff like that. It's just us. Liking like the posts, yeah. commenting, yeah. send an emoji. <laughs> it's not, we're not some big corporation or mm-hmm. something like that. Like it really is just is us trying to bring you the best stuff that we know mm-hmm. how to do. And so it, it really genuinely... Uh, we mean it when all every cent that you can find to support us is hugely important. Um, and I love that through that momentum that Alan has been able to just absolutely explode onto the, the YouTube space with and really get that going, that we've been able to help people and yeah. figure out new ways that we can mm-hmm. help people too, not just you know scrape by and just barely figure out how okay, well, maybe in five years we can do some sort of thing like that. Nothing of the sort. So that's been really, really amazing to see. Mm-hmm. Big up to Alan for uh, 
uh, your your amazing growth and your ability to pivot and create new interesting content for people to enjoy. Thanks, man. Thank you. So normally to wrap up the podcast, I ask my guest uh, if there's something that they wish they knew as a kid or what piece of advice they would impart on in the youths of today. But because this is a special <laughs> triangle podcast, yeah. um, what I'd like to do is actually uh, ask each of you. So Tier, what is one thing that you've learned from Alan that has been extremely significant and helpful in your life? I know I'm putting you on the spot. Well, how do I just point to one thing? Yeah, I know. <laughs> I mean, Alan, it's, uh, I might not even end up answering your question in a nice, neat way. I think it would be fair to say that I have really, man, how do I just give you one nice point on that? Um, there's, there's been a huge amount of content. I'll, I'll say this. I think it's been really important that Alan has been able to teach me and by extension a lot of other people the value of just being tuned in and understanding where people's potential can lie and never taking something for granted if you can at all help it um you just you never know who the next person or the next big thing is going to be so don't ever assume that you know everything Mm -hmm. and always be willing to take input and criticism uh, don't take it to heart, but just understand, as he was alluding to before, that this is just opening up a dialogue. It's not necessarily that this is you're wrong and I'm right, because that person who's giving you feedback is always right. But it's more that being willing to adapt and change has been something that I feel like was really jump-started through Alan. Mm-hmm. And I've tried to apply that same thing of, okay, well, how can I not only do that, but also try to be available to help other people where, if at all, I can in my own microscopic way, because Alan has always been very receptive to, if I send him demos, he, if I just ask him for advice, or just, you know, shooting the breeze, whatever, just having a conversation, he pretty much always responds to me as soon as he possibly can. And I think that, that him making the time for uh, that conversation or that input or that thing, um, I've tried to mirror in my own life of, even if it's inconvenient, I really will try to make the time for someone else just to make sure that they know that they're being heard Mm -hmm. because every person really is an individual. Not everyone's out to be your best friend or to help you, but a lot of great, genuine and honest people do exist out there and you have to try to give people the time of day to shine and to really show you their potential. So I know it's not like a one soundbite that I can give you, but (laughs) uh, that generally speaking, I feel like it's been probably top three things that I've been able to uh, sort of become more aware of through through Alan is that like camaraderie thing and really just being open to new ideas. That's been very important for me. Yeah, I mean, I definitely, I've definitely um, learned something similar from you. I feel like you really embody the, um, something that I've I've heard Gary Vee say a lot over the last couple of years. And I know I've, there's people out there that have different varying opinions about Gary Vee. Hmm. For me, he's been very helpful as a creator. And one of the things he says is always, always be giving value. Give as much value as you can to yeah. all the people around mm-hmm. you and to the people of the world, even if you're not, without, with zero expectation of getting anything back, just give as much value as, as you possibly can. And then maybe once in a while, 
ask for something mm-hmm. back, but don't do the whole thing of like, especially like as a business or an influencer or whatever, every single post is like, I'm selling something or whatever. No, like you really have to make it your mission in life to provide as much value as possible. And so, um, you know, Alan, you've been the, the only person really I've, I've seen kind of fully embody that. And you give so much value to so many people, like even just on your YouTube content alone, like I can't believe all those videos are free and like how many people you've been able to help, not just with the, uh, content itself that you're providing, but also how quickly you're able to disseminate information. I know that, um, a lot of the feedback that people will often like leave comments on your stuff is like, you know, yes, I was able to hear this in like somebody else's tutorial, but that one was two hours and Alan's was five minutes. And so, um, I just think you're doing so much for people and I, and I do really thank you for that. And, um, I hope that, you know, you continue to succeed in that space because you've grinded and worked so hard towards this. And I know that it's been such a challenge and I've just been so, so grateful that things have been really like growing for you over the last couple of years. Thank you. That's very kind of you to say that and it's very kind of you to say those words here and what I will say about that is it comes from a space of uh, self-discovery and humility and understanding your role in this world sometimes you may uh, want a certain thing but the universe wants something out of you mm-hmm. something else and and that's how you find versus that's how you find your role and how you can provide a, a value into the world. Sometimes we want things this, this, this way, so I can have this, 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 mm-hmm. this. But sometimes we, I think it's uh, repositioning how you relate to the world at large and, and, and who you are, what you have to offer, and how, as you said earlier in this conversation, how can that be a meaningful and and of value to the rest of the world and most of the time at first we're resistant about it but once you let go and say okay i'm gonna go with this you actually find out oh this is actually fulfilling and this is what i want to do so mm-hmm. really thank you for your encouragement and those, your kind words and your support now back to you here i think one of the we're always learning from each other when we're together, whether we're in the studio or out at a shoot, just working. I think one of the main things that that stood out to me was your work ethic. Mm-hmm. Something about that that focus and drive once you have a goal to push and 80% is never good enough for you. It's always about pushing your threshold that inch more is what makes that product a standard product to versus something that's outstanding that's that's out there right that's so that's one of the, the one of the main things that i've learned personally from you is that when you think something is good enough it may not be push a little further mm-hmm. push that extra 10 15 20% get it over to 110% because in what once you push it and you get there you'll real you realize it was worth the effort because the end result is a lot better so that's one one of the main personal ethos that that I got from you that I I found was very helpful and I've adopted it in how I work as well so really 
That's great. Really appreciative of that. And I, and I like that, that this is sort of the atmosphere that we all have mm-hmm. here, is that we understand where each other's value can be, and we're never so... What would the word be? Like, you're so kind of egotistical to never think that you can be just a little bit better every day in whatever direction that is. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that that attitude of, well, maybe if it isn't like a product that I'm designing, that can be 10% better, but how can it be a 10% better human being? Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, it, goes, or, it works all levels of mm-hmm. life. Correct. Or yeah. how can I help people 10% more today or something yeah. like that? And I think we, we've sort of both said more or less the same thing about each other in different ways, which is that how are we always taking input and then giving it back even a little bit more yeah. to other people? And I really like that because it shows like a good like eye level Mm-hmm. conversation that happens between all of us and never feel like any one of us are ever talking down to each other mm-hmm. or whatever feeling that we're above or even below for that matter that well we can I, I don't really deserve to be in this friend group because mm-hmm. i'm not x or i'm not yeah. y uh we're very different people all aligned around similar goals and that's the most important step is you can get along with people and you can understand that they too want just as bad as you do to succeed and to do something meaningful and to change the world in a positive way. And how we're doing that is constantly evolving. Mm-hmm. Like our game plan is never one thing, but it's a bunch of check marks that we just put on a list. We're coming up with new ideas all the time. Or you might ask me a question of like, how, how would you make this sound? Or I might ask you a question of like, how would you approach X? Mm-hmm. Or even just, here's a cookie idea. I'll just send fired off to you just because like you want to make your best self available all the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you don't send someone an idea for the expectation of like, uh, as you were saying before, like that Alan's going to directly compensate me for that financially. Like here, here's a little idea I had. Maybe you might find it helpful or maybe useful. Mm-hmm. I kind of think you just want to be there to give your best input and information mm-hmm. to the people in your life because you genuinely care about them. Mm-hmm. And sometimes you can action that idea. Of like, for example, here's maybe some sort of content idea I was floating in my head. It might be a cool video mm-hmm. for six months now on. I have no idea. Mm-hmm. I have no ability to really action at this time, but I know he can maybe do it or that it might get incorporated into the content he's already That's Oh, actually, I was already kind of working on this. Maybe I can just slot that in mm-hmm. and think about this little yeah. aspect of it or the same thing of, did you think about it in your track that you should maybe try to do this, this or flip this arrangement around or do something else? with it because as an external observer, I'm not really hearing where it's at or even for mastering like the old one was where it was at because of X, Y, Z reason. Maybe you're, you're overthinking it and trying to overmake the idea, but we're always looking out for each other and trying to make sure that we're always at our peak and our best and never doing it in a way that feels crooked or lopsided that we're, we are really just trying to help each other out. And that's, it is, it's a very special thing. And I, and I wish that everyone watching this can find and has you know relationships like that in their lives because there's no replacement for just feeling like everyone can be at peace with each other and that everyone's got each other's back you know like uh, i'm never going to be able to get too far off the beaten path because i know that either one of you will probably notice it and then steer it back and same sort of thing so uh it's it's a very interesting and a very special and unique place that we find ourselves in, mm-hmm. that we all can work truly well and truly not like forced to be a team. We just want to work with each other because we understand each other's value. Mm-hmm. Well, this was a very special, special conversation. Episode. I haven't said what I've learned about you yet. Oh, you guys want to do it <laughs> yeah. on me? Oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> 
so one thing I've learned from you is your cheerful approach to life. And I think this is important in that one should never take oneself too seriously. And that, that, that works on all levels, whether you're working in a studio, we've talked about that. It's about having fun and being spontaneous and, or just being out there in life. You got to enjoy life. So I really love that you bring this energy of, of joyfulness and cheerfulness, because that's really important because sometimes we forget that you have to appreciate this moment and be, be grateful of it. So that's, that's one of the things that stood out to me when I first met you, Tadol, and really thankful to have friends like that, that, that to remind yourself that, that things can be okay. You can appreciate life. So really appreciate that. Oh, um, thank you. I'm so <laughs> grateful that that's sort of the, the vibe that you get from me. And, you know, I've, I've might've talked about this on the podcast before that, like, you know, I have had my journey with and still continuing my journey with sort of like, you know, working through depression and mental health issues, addiction past and that sort of thing. And so whenever I hear people's feedback that the vibe that I give to them mm -hmm. is like positive mm -hmm. is like really means a lot to me because it's kind of one of my main goals as a human and, and in my content and creativity mm -hmm. as well, which is like, you know, I've, I've have experienced so much negativity and, and like judgment and that kind of thing through my life that like, I really don't want to convey that to other people. Mm -hmm. And so, mm -hmm. um, yeah, I, I, I definitely really, really do my best to be cheerful and it does come from, you know, like a positive place. Like I remember, I remember growing up whenever I'd come across, uh, cheerful people, I was often very cynical of like, oh, they're just like faking it or they're like delusional or whatever. But um, only much later did I kind of uh, realize that like, no, that's that's a, such a blessing when mm -hmm. you can sort of have that energy. And so I do my best to kind of cultivate that and hang on to it. And certainly, you know, you, you see me on my worser moments and stuff that like it's that's not always the case. Yeah. So I just of I course. really extra appreciate that, like that's kind of what you pick up from me because mm -hmm. that's and sometimes it has to be a choice although things aren't okay i can choose to feel this way right now right that's not to say you shouldn't honor what you're feeling right now you should honor all your palettes of emotion mm -hmm. but when it comes down to it you can choose how you feel and respond to a situation and that is very true. That's yeah. very powerful knowledge as yeah. well. Now, I can tell you that it's very seldomly that you can just decide you're not going to be upset or happy about mm -hmm. something. Mm -hmm. um, sometimes it's inappropriate to be happy and sometimes it's inappropriate to be sad. You mm -hmm. just have to kind of mm -hmm. understand what is causing these feelings. Is mm -hmm. it just a character flaw or is it maybe that that's exactly the right thing, but it's not obvious why? Mm -hmm. Sometimes that kind of thing is only revealed to you later in life mm -hmm. where you're not going to have the answer right this very second of why am I feeling this confusing feeling about yeah. this uh, particular instance, right? I can only be so vague because that's kind of a broad sweeping thing. Uh, but you're absolutely right is that you have to be aware of your reactions to stuff. Mm -hmm. And if you choose to exude confidence and positivity, chances are it's going to make its way back into your life. Mm -hmm. You can't just not have that come back to you if you're a constant yes, exactly. of positivity. And I would completely agree uh, with the sentiment. And what I would say sort of on a similar note of like, it would be only right for me to then 
sort of also say like what would be something important that I've learned from you there's a smile no no it is something just very similar of always making sure that you are seizing opportunities to enjoy good moments that are in front of you because not all of life is completely constituent of work um, and I think likewise we've kind of tempered each other in that way of I do have the kind of work focus sort of thing of like we really do need to do everything that is foundational before we can appreciate the fruits of our labor and likewise that you can't think that just because something is not a million percent done that you can't maybe take a second to appreciate the things that you've already done or the things that people have done for you or something in between there um it's the just respect for enjoying the moments as they come along as fleeting as they can be if it's just the five seconds of like this turned out great i'm really happy about that instead of wondering to yourself well this project is done i'm really anxious now because life is all distorted i don't know what i'm supposed to do now and i feel so alive like that's completely the wrong way to think about creativity in my opinion is that you shouldn't be just constantly stressed about what your next source of inspiration mm-hmm. is going to be. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you do need to be thankful for the things that have gone right. Mm. And ask yourself, why did that go right? Because there's probably some good information in there that you're just skipping over. You know, all oh, this thing went right. Well, how am I going to figure out the next thing? Well, what made the first thing go really well? How can you continue in that sort of pathway? And I think that was something that I was missing in my perspective before is maybe understanding why things were going right and doing a little more thorough audit of what are the things that I'm thankful? Why was I thankful for those things? Ruminating on those thoughts and by extension, I think that has invited a lot more positivity into my own life. And so I'm very thankful that you've been able to help us both uh, really understand the value of just, you know, not being unreasonably hopeful or cheery or whatever it is about things, but like taking the necessary time that things deserve and giving them their credit words to when either you did a good job yourself or when someone around you did a good job, like celebrating success, yeah. as I think is a probably a good way to put it. Yeah. Oh, guys. Oh. <laughs> well, okay, so I'm, I'll quickly also talk about what I've learned from you two. Yeah. And then, yeah. <laughs> we can just like pat yeah. all of each other on the back. Yeah. I thought you, 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 you gave your feedback I on did. me. I so did, I did. So I yeah. think the spot's on too. <laughs> all right. Well, I was actually going to mention this earlier, so I'm, I'm glad it kind of came up uh, again in, in a different way. But we were talking earlier about how um, you know, sometimes you think that like the work that you've done is like your best work and now it's like behind you. And this is one of the things that I was a very significant learning that I had from, from you early on, which was, you know, so, so when I first started working with tier, it was mainly in the context of he was, uh, recording and editing all of my vocal projects. And he saw me go through the kind of experience of like, okay, I've recorded a vocal for this drum and bass instrumental. Um, the, producer ended up only using a quarter of the vocal or the label didn't like it and didn't use the vocal at all. And so I had a lot of these experiences of like taking it really personal mm. of like, oh, but that was so good. And how come they didn't like it and they didn't use it? And I worked so hard and I spent weeks on this. And then also the, the feeling of like, well, that was the best thing I've ever done. And I'm never going to have something as good as that. And it was like wasted. And so just like a lot of those, I guess, kind of amateur feelings of 
this is my best work and I'm never going to get better. Meanwhile, little did I know that like, really, I'm just getting started. And the more I iterate and, and work on, I'm actually going to get better. So maybe that, that felt like it was my best at the time, but really if I keep working, I'm going to get better. And so kind of like letting, like learning to like let things go and not take things personally. And just as, as Alan was saying about your like hard work ethic, just keep working at it because, um, yeah, often things just come with more time and more experience and, uh, art is subjective. You can't take things personal all the time. And, uh, you know, so often, often your best work is actually ahead of you and not behind you. And I, Uh and I certainly see more of that now. So yeah, always try to have that perspective of your best work is yet to come Mm -hmm. and never think that you've peaked just because you did do a really good job on something like that. That might be true. But you've got so much more left in you, so much more left in the tank, even if it isn't clear to you how that might be, because your next source of inspiration isn't just like a quick song and dance away. Like sometimes you have to really shake up your life in a big way to find that, you know, extra lint in the in the jar. Like, the, but there is always something in there for you to give, but it's never going to be easy to because you're going to mine that first like what's my easiest inspiration that's going to start to kind of wear away but you don't know how thick that wall is going to go that could be really really deep but you have to forcibly push yourself to go further and further into these unexplored uh, unexplored territories to discover where your true level of art is and that's probably not even a valid question it's more like how far can I push my own craft outside of where I was comfortable to encompass the largest array of influence and the largest amount of skill and prowess that I can kind of have, uh, have over over all these different domains in artistic endeavors. And maybe that's kind of the core of the issue where people lose their wind is that you can lose your wind, but you're out of easy options now. Uh, I just discovered how good reverb sounds. Now my whole track is going to, very simple example, but like maybe you're learning serum or like some sort of synth or something like that. Make 50, 60, 70, 80 good sounds out of it. And then you feel like, well, that's it. I just can't write any more music. But it's the case really is that you just have to find more innovative ways to yeah. feel that same inspiration. Um, but yeah, absolutely. It was tangent, but I thought it was relevant to bring up. Yeah, that, that definitely makes sense. I mean, to anyone that thinks that your music is that your best music is behind you, that just means you uh, you decided to stop learning. Hmm. And right. and are you saying that you can't learn new things? I actually don't believe that an old dog can't learn new tricks. The brain is able to learn new things. They, what we call neuroplasticity. Mm-hmm. You can create new connections. So don't think that you can't learn new things be open to learn and grow and you're going to keep growing and making new stuff so like just be just have an approach to life where you want to just keep discovering new things that the world is so big you're never going to learn everything which is what is so exciting about this journey is that the growth and learning does not end and that's really the way to go Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And having the humility to make yeah. yourself that you yeah. can't know everything. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I've kind of adopted that recently into my mantras mm-hmm. of, I will always start by saying, firstly, I don't know everything. I don't even know a lot. Mm-hmm. I know kind of what I know. And based on that, here's what I think of really taking the most humble approach that you possibly can. Cause it's true. You don't know anything. Like in the, the second you crack open a subject that you're unfamiliar with, it's like, oh boy, 
this is really tough, I don't know anything about it, mm -hmm. uh, but you're also absolutely right. There's no reason why you can't just decide you're going to learn a new skill. Mm -hmm. I learned a new language starting when I was 26, and that I think has gone pretty well. Mm -hmm. um, but the, the, the sort of idea that I think people have told themselves that their opportunity to learn stuff is when they're a kid, mm -hmm. and they live that out as a self-fulfilling yeah. prophecy, yeah. Uh, well, it's not possible for me to learn new things past when I'm 30 or past when I'm 50 or however old, old people are that are watching. I think really every day is an opportunity. And I don't think you ever outgrow opportunity personally. Uh, and so I think you kind of owe it to yourself to not keep repeating that same sort of destructive mantra of I'm too old for X. Mm -hmm. It's, you know, I'm not inspired enough is probably maybe a more fair mm -hmm. way to say it yourself, but that kind of sucks to say mm -hmm. because then you can't blame something else. Mm -hmm. You know, oh, well, this external factor that's immutable to me that I can't take back, that must be the reason why I can't do that. And it's probably not being fair to yourself. You're undervaluing your ability as an artist to grow and to learn. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm not even sitting here trying to like say, well, you're not doing a good job. It's more like give yourself more credit Mm -hmm. You you can totally do that yeah. if you're, but you've decided you can't because you've come to think that these things you have no control over are going to govern your destiny. It's sort of like you know the thing of like people that are thirty and still feel like their parents control every aspect of their lives. Like how do I get my parents to stop controlling me? It's like well you live on your own, you make your own money, you drive yourself to work, you have your own relationship, maybe a girlfriend. They don't control your life. I think the difference is that you've let that mindset come into play of like, no, these people really do control my life. I'm not, I'm not actually control myself. Like the voices in your head are the ones at the wheel when, if you just look around you, you are in fact in control. And never, yeah, never let yourself outgrow opportunity. It's kind of how I would sum it up. It's, it's so important to be willing well said. to just yeah. try that next new thing. Yeah, you never know where that's going to take you. You might meet amazing people. You might do something amazing. I, I don't know. But afford yourself the opportunity. Well said. Well said. Well, well said. I <laughs> <laughs> will just be like Canada Hill, like, yep. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, I think, I think this was great. I'm so glad we were able to make this happen. And thank you guys for, for being willing to kind of do this and, and I'm really glad we're sort of up here doing our little uh, retreat. I know both of you work so, so hard and we're often, you know, kind of toiling in our studios. And so it's, it's nice to be able to kind of just get out and do our best to get a little bit away from technology by setting up more technology okay. just mm -hmm. in nature. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Why get away from technology when the technology can come to us? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, mm -hmm. but thank you so much for, for agreeing to do this. Thank you so much for this thank conversation. Thank you for having, having me. Yeah, thanks for the hospitality. Thank thanks for everything that you guys do. This amazing setup. Really honored to be in this gracious space. Mm -hmm. Thank thanks, you. Alan. Yeah, big up for wanting to make it all possible mm -hmm. and giving us the time of day to just spout off about how great we all think each other are. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, no, it, it, this is, uh, it, and I said it in the last show too, this is a great thing you have going on. And I'm sure Alan have opinions about that as well. Mm -hmm. But I think yeah, what, keep it what, what, what you're doing here is, is important work and it is allowing people to hear from people that they wouldn't normally hear from in that capacity where we can see a different side of 
that person that we're not only exposed to. Like I, I talk to him all the time. Like I see that thing, but that's not. Like, I don't tend to hang out with everybody. And I think it's great that of all these different artists that you know, that you can let them talk to people as well and give everyone mm-hmm. this kind of one on one take, or I guess three on three, or whatever you want to say. But um, take on just kind of how we think about life and how we think about work and music and art in, in general. So I, I think what you're doing here is important work and I'm glad that you're continuing to push this show along because I think it's worth doing. Thanks. I mean, I'm also just trying to have fun with it and trying to keep that thing in mind of like, you know, not everything I have to do has to have like a total, like, you know, financial benefit at the end of the day or like some sort of serious, like, uh, like artistic objective. Like I definitely have my objectives with this podcast and creating these kinds of conversations, but I'm also just grateful that by doing this, you know, we've kind of captured a moment in time and, you know, 50 years from now we can like look back. That's and be like, true. Oh, oh, yeah. oh, look at that. show know. my grandchildren. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but that said, um, for, for you folks, watching and listening thank you so much for for being here with us um i'm gonna have social media links for all of us in the description um if you want this jungle t-shirt comes in lots of different colors this is actually strange as merch um got a deviant cap over here as well um but also if you just want to follow subscribe like share that whole thing that it really goes a long way and hopefully this um brought you some inspiration some comfort some joy some laughs hopefully not tears unless they're happy (laughs) tears Um, Thank you so much for being here with us and uh, sending you lots of love. Take care.